welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Yeah, so one of the main, one of the main things that uh, we heard about in teaching uh, last week at the Vineyard Conference was this idea of story. And I thought, that's interesting. We're talking about stories this summer at Vineyard Cleveland and how God is weaving us into his great narrative and how there are millions, I mean, with the advent of the internet and um, the world getting smaller in that respect, there are a million, a million different narratives that are playing out on the planet every day. Every day, you can choose to be a part of whatever story you'd like to be a part of, and you might even find some community within that story as well. You're, you, there's like no such thing as niche anymore. Yeah. And um, this idea that we are part of a, a greater narrative in the story of God just really struck me this week. And we've been... In uh, the parables of Luke, that's where we'll be this morning, uh, we started the series talking about the parable of the sower. And Dave, what did you bring last week? The lost sheep last week. I haven't had a chance. It's not online yet. I'm looking forward to listening to it. The lost sheep last week. And this morning, we're going to talk about the great banquet. And it's funny because we're having a potluck today, too. So we'd like to invite you to that great banquet as well. Um, But we're going to talk about the great banquet in Luke 14. So if you have a Bible and you wanted to turn or or swipe there with me, and if you don't have one, you'd like a Bible, we've got Bibles on either side of the stage. You're welcome to pick one up and take home with you. We encourage Bible reading here at, at Vineyard Cleveland. So... Um, We're going to be in Luke 14, and today is all about invitation, the nature of invitation, what it means to belong to a story, to find yourself within a narrative, uh, and to find our place within God's narrative. Um, I also want to get said this morning um, a word of encouragement to those who might feel left out or at times or seasons in their journey, excluded. And I think that's the better part of all of us, isn't it? At one point or another, we've all felt excluded. We've all felt left out. We've all felt not part of the in crowd. We've all felt uh, uh, locked out of certain different types of friend groups or whatever. And I feel like um, this past week was a huge lesson for me in being confident in the seat that Jesus has given me to sit in. Like, Jesus is really great at assigned seating. He's the best assigned seat teacher. Do you remember? But often, you know, he, like, he just, he knows. And so oftentimes we sit in our assigned seat and we're like, what's going on over there? Why can't I, why can't I sit in that chair? And Jesus is like, you don't know. You, you know, I've assigned you the seat to sit in. It's going to be so much better than that seat over. That's not your seat. And so oftentimes, life can feel like musical chairs. Who remembers musical chairs? <laughs> and the chairs um, in quantity get less and less as the song goes on, and you're looking for a place to sit. 
and then you don't have a place to sit. And remember how that feels? You're like, I don't have a place to sit. I feel so excluded. I feel left out. It's just the game, but it's a powerful analogy. So I wanted to read Luke 14 with you this morning. And we're going to be Luke 14, 15 through 24. And we'll, we'll play off the NIV version, but I wanted to read it to you in the message. The message version is Eugene Peterson's um, translation of the Bible, and it's more in like a modern day kind of language. So I wanted to read that to you this morning um, in hopes that we could get a better feel for what's happening. So we read this. Uh, That triggered a response from one of the guests. And the guest says, How fortunate the one who gets to eat dinner in God's kingdom. Jesus followed up, Yes, for there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for the dinner, he sent out his servant to invite uh, guests, saying, Come on in, the food's on the table. Then they all began to beg off one after another, making excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of property and need to look it over. Send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen, and I really need to check them out. Send my regrets. And yet another said, I just got married and need to get home to my wife. The servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged and told the servant, quickly, get out into the city streets and alleys, Collect all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits and homeless and wretched you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back, Master, I did what you commanded and there's still room. The uh, the master said, Then go to the country roads. Wherever you find, whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, no one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. How wonderful. Jesus is telling the story, and I want to, for a moment, invite you to put yourself in the place of the servant who's told to go invite. So here you are, and this master says, hey, I want to throw a party. So imagine a party Imagine the best party that you've ever been to in your life. The best food. Maybe you're an hors d'oeuvres person. The best hors d'oeuvres. They've, you know, with Luca and Winnie this week, I said, imagine they've got all the cake you could ever want. And cookies, too. And ice cream. Any flavor. And they're like, oh, man, that's a great party. (laughs) The best party you could ever go to. And he's put you in charge of planning the party. And you begin to plan the party, and you invite everyone uh, to the party, and the preparations are going well, and the master comes back to you and says, how are, how are preparations going? It's the day of the party. Is the food ready? Yeah, the food's ready. We've got chocolate cake all over the place. It's going to be amazing, and all of the, the band is ready to go. Everything's lined up. We're ready to party. And then he says, well, what about the guests? And imagine how you feel as you report back to him. You say, well, you know, actually, I've, had a, I've got the RSVPs back and no one, no one can come. And imagine how that feels for a moment. And then the master says to you, or the master, the guy who's <laughs> throwing the party, the host, says to you, well, gosh, 
The point is the party. Go out and invite anyone you find and bring them in. And imagine how that feels as you hear that from his mouth. And that's the first point I wanted to bring up. Who is invited? Who is invited? In Luke 14, 16, we read, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Many guests. The welcome of the kingdom of God is for everyone. A good amen. The welcome of the kingdom of God is for everyone. Come on. Jesus extends his love at the cross to any who would come to him. That means that whether you are down and out or up and in, Jesus says come. It means that whether you are poor or rich, Jesus says come. Whether you are white or black, Jesus says come. If you are old or young, clean or dirty, whether you have made whether you think you have made zero mistakes or whether you have made two million mistakes, Jesus beckons, come. Everyone is welcome to walk through the door. Everyone has their invitation. They've been written in the blood of Jesus at the cross and sealed with the stamp of his resurrected body. Death is defeated. Jesus says, come to the banquet. Come and eat. Come and live. The invitation has been extended to every single person. This means that God, in the person of of Jesus, think about it this way, is more generous and inclusive than we could ever imagine. We read a few weeks ago in the parable of the sower that he's like a farmer sowing seed generously. He's just throwing it everywhere. And remember we talked about how we, sometimes we call that wasteful, but at Vineyard Cleveland we call that generosity because you never know what kind of soil that that seed is going to land on. In a similar way here, Jesus says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Even from the outset of those who couldn't come, Jesus is inviting everyone. Everyone is welcome. And that speaks a deep and richly compassionate and significant word about the heart of God. Can you feel the heart of God in this verse where he invited many guests? That means that Jesus invites people we don't necessarily feel comfortable with. He invites those we would exclude. They said of him, didn't they say of him that he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes? He calls those who would not choose, we would not choose, and he's the one who looks at people's hearts rather than their outward appearance. He always does this. He's so generous. He's so inviting. He always initiates. He's always initiating. And it also says about God that he's patient. He's very patient. And this is something that I missed until like just the other night. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, take another look at like how this narrative plays out. 
the guy who's throwing the banquet, this says something so good about our father. The guy who's throwing the banquet waits until the day of the party to check up on who's coming or not coming. Pause for a moment and think about what that says about God's heart. For me, when I hear that, I hear that God trusts us and loves us so very much. God is not checking his Facebook event page. Who's coming to my party? Who's coming to my party? They declined. Oh, block them. (laughs) That is not the heart of God. (laughs) He doesn't even check. He's like, this is the greatest party the world has ever known. Why wouldn't anyone not want to come to this? When they hear about this, when they hear, when they hear about this banquet, the banquet, or are we tracking the banquet is, the, um, is synonymous with the message of the kingdom of God. Just like the seed that the farmer is sowing is synonymous with the message of the kingdom of God. The great banquet is the, the message of the kingdom of God. When they hear about the message of the kingdom of God, there's no way that they're going to be able to stay away. The good news that comes through my son, Jesus Christ, at the cross, his death and his resurrection, they're not going to be able to stay away. It's a celebration. It's a party. It says something so, um, so rich and deep about the heart of God that he's patient and he's kind. In 2 Peter 3, 9, he says that he's not willing that any should perish. He's so much more patient than we give him credit for, is he not? He waits and he waits to the day of the party to say, who's coming? Because he believes in us and trusts us and loves us. Of course we'd want to show up. So what story are we living in? What story are we living in? Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. In verse 16, Jesus is inviting us into his story. This is the grand story of all creation. He calls the story of the kingdom of God a great banquet, a party. He's inviting us to something that will be good for us personally, yes, but also that he's inviting us into something that's so much bigger than us individually. That's what's being extended this morning. That's the invitation to our hearts this morning. That's the call to us that we're being invited into Jesus' story, the reconciliation of all things to God. Well, what story are we being invited into? I thought this was just a church service. Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Here's the drama (laughs) that you've walked into this morning. In the beginning, yeah, that far back. It won't be three hours, I promise. Here's the story. In the beginning, God created. God is an artist. The first words we hear about God is that he's an artist. Oh, so good. In the beginning, God created men and women. 
And he said, it's good. It's good. He looked around. He looked over all of creation, all that his hands, God's hands had made and had shaped and had formed. And he said, that's good. And the earth came alive and affirmed the goodness and said, yes, you are good. Worship from the very beginning. But then in Genesis 3, something terrible happened. Men and women encountered the enemy, one who thought he could be God. He could attain godhood. But there's only one who could sit on that throne, so he had to leave. And he came down and he put a fruit in front of Adam and Eve's face. And men and women chose to hold up a no trespassing sign to God. Said, we can be like you on our own. And men and women fell. But even in, even in the beginning, as we were separated from God, you know, before the fall, it says that Adam walked with God, walked with him in the garden in the cool of the day, touched God, was with God. Fall happens, gone, relationship broken separated. But even in the beginning in Genesis 3, it's been prophesied about Jesus that in the end, there will come a time where this separation will not be experienced anymore. As Tom spoke this morning, where, when, and this is a taste of it this morning, that when we're together, we won't feel the dissonance when we're together, we won't feel the brokenness, the passive aggressiveness, the murder, the hate. There'll be one day when God will obliterate that from the face of the earth. We fell. We were separated from God. And all through the Old Testament, as God points to Israel and says, you are my people. You, you are the flock of my pasture, he says. He chooses a specific people, and he says, you, you will be blessed. Among all other people, you're going to be blessed. And other nations will be blessed by you. He chooses a people. And all through the story of the Israelites, we see a big finger pointing forward, pointing forward to the person of Jesus in every single page of scripture we should be reading, where is Jesus in this? Because Jesus is in the Old Testament. Even in the boring parts like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, Jesus is still there, I promise you. And so Old Testament promises point to Jesus. Keep on pointing to him and pointing to him. And then the moment comes. There's a great battle going on in heaven because that guy who had fallen so long ago and wanted to be God doesn't want this thing that's about to happen to happen. There's a battle raging in heaven. And the scriptures say that there's a dragon who wants to devour this mother, Mary, and her child, Jesus. There's something about this child. What is it about this child that's so special? But the dragon is not able to gobble up the baby God's plan, his secret plan for redemption begins and enter the scene, Jesus. 
2,000 years ago in the middle of nowhere, nowhere near any center of cultural influence. He's not born in a palace with the rich and the influential and the powerful. He's born in a stable, in a feeding trough, in the middle of nowhere. He's a hick. He's born in the sticks. He doesn't have a qualified last name. He doesn't have a title attached to his family. His parents are teenagers at best, irresponsible ones, unwed. He's illegitimate, and he's the one God chooses. And so he lives his life. And then at the right moment, when God says, it's time, Jesus says yes. Jesus says yes to the reconciliation of all things. He says, not my will, showing how he's so much like us. He says, I don't want to do this, but not my will, yours be done. Because he realizes the greater impact. No one knows the real name of Caesar who was on the throne, his real name in those days. No one really knows his real name, but you know the name, but the world knows the name of Jesus. Because Jesus said, yes, not my will, yours be done. And he goes to the cross. And as folks are mocking and spitting, and as he's whipped and a crown of thorns is placed upon his head, He breathes his last and he says, it is finished. What's finished? The separation is finished. At that time in the Jewish temple, the veil separating men from God is torn in two from the top to the bottom. First century scholar Josephus says that these curtains were so thick that you could put a team of horses on both sides of them and say, giddy up. And they still couldn't tear the curtain. At the moment where Jesus says, it is finished, the temple veil is torn from the top to the bottom, signifying that we have access to God. There's no more separation. The Son has come to live on earth. God has come down. He's not just on some heavenly cloud twiddling his thumbs, but he's come down to live with us. And he gave his life for us so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could have the great banquet, so that we could be in on what we were outside of, so that we could no longer be pressing our face up against the glass saying, when can I be close with God? My heart's longing for something I feel that I don't see, I want to see, I want to experience intimacy. The temple veil's torn. He goes down into the grave like a seed. He's there, stone cold dead for three days. Not just like halfway dead or mostly dead like the princess bride says. He's all the way dead. He's not coming back. And then on the third day, as the disciples come to the tomb, who comes to the tomb? It's women who come to the tomb first. Come on. Mary comes to the tomb first. The gospel, the good news of the resurrection. The tomb's rolled away. The soldiers are freaked out. What's going on? Somebody's stolen the body. 
No, he's alive. The Father raises him up from the grave. And there he stands, Jesus, in his resurrected body. The nail scars in his hands and in his feet. Thomas says, I don't believe it. Jesus walks through a wall and says, look it. Check it out. It's not a ghost. It's me. Let's have dinner. He cooks breakfast for his disciples on the beach. He says, oh, you don't have any fish this morning? Let me just cook you up some fish. And then he gives them some fish on, on, the, on the lake shore. He's alive. And in that final act, we see that death is defeated. So we don't have to be outside. We're in. And the drama doesn't end there. Then he says, before he ascends to heaven, he says, go. Go. Go and make disciples. Go and make followers. Share the good news. Share the good news that I'm alive. He doesn't say to make converts. He doesn't say to try to win them to Vineyard Cleveland. He says, go and make disciples of Jesus, of all nations. The great banquet. Many guests are invited. It's not just the Jews now who have salvation. It's not one specific people group. It's everyone. Everyone is invited to the great banquet. Go and make disciples, Jesus says. I want my, doesn't the Father say in the parable, I want my house full. Go and make disciples. And so they do. But the drama doesn't end there either. In the final act, we see Jesus raised in glory, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling heaven and earth. To make a long story short, he wins. If you follow Jesus, you win. You get it all. What do you get? You get Jesus. And I'm not talking about going to heaven after you die. I'm not talking about going to heaven after you die. What does it mean that Jesus rules and he reigns? We have this false conception that we're going to heaven, fluttering away like little butterflies, going to heaven after we die. Heaven is coming here. Jesus is coming to rule on earth. If he created it in the beginning and he said it's good, isn't it still good at the end of all things? He's reconciling all things to himself, all people to himself. We don't know how far the grace of God extends when he dies and gives his life at the cross. Reconciling all things to himself, all things. He wins at the end. Heaven is coming here. That's the great banquet. Let's move on. And now our role as a church is not to do good things for God. You're, you're as a follower of Jesus, God doesn't want you to do, he's, he's a big boy, he can handle himself. He doesn't need you to do good things for him. Rather, he's kind and he invites you to participate with him. There's a huge difference in doing things for God and participating with Jesus in advancing the coming kingdom. Can we see the difference this morning? 
Can we see the heart of the Father in that? The heart of God is not that you would be a good little Christian and not swear and stay away from drugs. You know that whole thing? Not to do good things or not do bad things. That's not the heart of God. That's religion. That's what religion does. And Jesus did not die on the cross so that you wouldn't do bad things. How low of a bar is that? Jesus died on the cross so that you would be compelled to participate with him. How good is he that we get to join in with him in advancing the kingdom of God? So missional like that. So good. FOLO. FOLO. Do you know FOMO, fear of missing out? As I was, I was going to do FOMO, but I said, no, it's more of like FOLO, fear of being left out. Luke 14, uh, 18 says, they all alike begin to make excuses of why they couldn't come. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. FOLO, fear of uh, being left out. With God, there's always welcome. You know, there's always invitation first. With God, he always hopes that we respond to his call. And it's everyone, not just special called people. And that's important here in the city of Cleveland. With Catholic underpinnings in the city, we need to hear this. That I am not pastor with a capital P more than you are pastor of Vineyard Cleveland. Can you hear that? Please stop calling me Pastor Evan. Honestly. It's the, it's, because do you see how that negates the, the main ethos of Vineyard Cleveland, which is that everybody gets to play? He is not Pastor Tom. She is not Pastor Sarah. We are all pastors in the city of Cleveland. Everybody gets to play. It's not the man in the middle with the vision and God's mighty call for the city of Cleveland. That's not it. It's each of us showing up every day, showing faithfulness, moving the ball one yard at a time, left foot, right foot. How does this relate? It relates because oftentimes I find myself looking, <laughs> looking for the person uh, with the anointing rather than realizing that I carry it. You carry the same thing. If you follow Jesus and you give your life to him, say, I'm surrendering my life to you, Jesus, and you experience God living inside of you, you carry the same God I carry inside of me. You carry the same Holy Spirit that I carry. So it's everybody. It's all of us. We all get to play. No special person with a special vision from God. And oftentimes, in the story of God, it's just the opposite, isn't it? It's the lonely, not the popular. It's the weak. It's not the powerful. It's the abandoned, the fatherless, the hopeless whom God calls. That's who God's calling. He loves extending his invitation to those who need a great story bigger than themselves. 
Are you looking for more to feel and experience something other than the enemy's onslaught of attack in the area of exclusion? Are you sick of feeling excluded? Enemy wants you to feel excluded. He wants you to feel like you have no friends. He wants you to feel uh, discouraged because he's discouraged. And he can only give to you out of what he is. And he's discouraged. So he wants you to feel discouraged. He wants you to feel lonely. He wants you to feel excluded. So what are some things that can hinder you from experiencing the welcome invitation of the kingdom of God? Insecurities inside of our hearts and our minds can hinder us. Other people can intentionally or unintentionally exclude us, and that hurts. We feel the hurt inside of the sting inside of being locked out of a, of a particular friends group or uh, a group at church or what, wherever, or a group at work goes out to lunch and they, you know, they've never invited you once to lunch and, and there they go again and you're sitting at your cubicle and they're like, have a good day at lunch, see you later. And then the three friends go out to lunch and you're like, I'm invisible. Thanks a lot. And they come back and they say, how was your lunch? We had a great time. <laughs> you're like, good for you. That's awesome that you had a great time. Anybody feel like that sometimes? We can exclude ourselves. We see here in the passage that people excuse themselves. We exclude ourselves. We've got stuff going on. Life is busy. We understand that. Life is busy. I just got married. I just bought five oxen. How many of you have just bought five oxen? (laughs) A few of you. Okay. (laughs) Just bought five oxen. We've got stuff to do. We can exclude ourselves, and the enemy wants to distract us with exclusionary Oh, the enemy wants to distract us. Do you feel like you're missing out, like everyone else is experiencing something that you aren't? It is possible that others are feeling the same thing about themselves as well. Which brings us to encouragement. We'll do one more, and then we'll will end. If you are feeling excluded, if you, and it doesn't have to be like a major sort of insecurity in your life, but everybody's felt it at one point or another in their journey. If you are feeling locked out or left out or excluded, there's a default in us, and depending on your personality type, depending on who you are as a person, you'll uh, react in different ways. Some people They'll, they feel excluded, so they say, okay, you exclude me, I'm going to lock you out. Defriend, social media, bam, see how you like it, right? Who knows that one? There's that. Other people will be hurt by it and isolate themselves and carry that hurt. We think it only happens in elementary, middle school, but it happens into adulthood all the time. So some people will isolate themselves. Any number of different reactions or responses to how um, you're excluded and what you do when you feel excluded. So who does Jesus see? Hidden figures. As followers of Jesus, this is the main question here. As followers of Jesus, who who are we neglecting to see 
in our lives and in our story in these times? Who are the hidden figures in our society? We can start big and make it personal. I'm happy to be a part of a church who cares for refugees, who welcomes refugees. What we did with the art auction, amazing. You guys are saying, you guys are saying to the refugee population in Cleveland, you are welcome here. You're welcome here. Through those who have signed up for refugee mentoring and the other one, the class coming up, you guys are saying to folks who have no idea how to live in America, let alone in the city of Cleveland. You guys are saying to them, welcome. You're wanted here. You're not on the outside. You're on the inside. You're one of us. You might not look like us, smell like us, eat the same food as us, but you're one of us. Welcome. And that's powerful. When a community says that to a group of people, that's a powerful thing. So good on you, Vineyard Cleveland. Be encouraged. Let's continue to welcome refugees. Let's continue to see hidden figures. Who else is hidden figures? We heard a great talk uh, from Rachel Connor out of Sugarland, Texas this past week who talked about hidden figures. Do you know who the number one hidden figure in America is? The African-American woman. She is completely unseen in our society She is completely invisible in our society. When we begin to see her, to see the gifts that God has given to the African-American woman, we'll be better together, I guarantee you. Wonderful talk this week. I think you can download it from Vineyard USA website. But who is God calling you to see? Because encouragement is the best way out of self-pity. If you feel excluded... Start to encourage others. That's God's response. Because to be invited is to be seen. To be invited is to be seen. And when you see people who are neglected, when you see people who are on the outside and you invite them, who might not be able to pay you back the favor for inviting them, you receive a blessing because you are seeing the people who God sees. Don't ever trade your seat at the table of the kingdom of God for a meeting with an important person. Isn't it funny how people clamor, clamor and, and become an annoyance to important people. I wonder, if I only had a meeting with this person, with so-and-so, who carries this title, who has this much money, who could benefit me and my business or whatever it is, clamor for the attention of important people who have position and power and influence. But those aren't the people that God sees. How easy is it for you to get a meeting with a homeless person? Super easy. You don't have to make an appointment on the, on the books. You don't have to wait in line uh, three months down the road to get a table with a homeless man or woman. You simply go and invite them. Do you have some time? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've got some time. That's, and you will be blessed as you begin to see the people who are neglected. Because to be seen is so powerful. It's so powerful when you choose to see people 
to know that someone thought of you, think about it, to know that someone thought of you personally, to invite you is a powerful thing. They took time to write out the invitation and to write your name on it. You are seen. How often we wait for the invitations to the popular party when all the while Jesus is asking us to see those who are hidden from the eyes of the powerful and the popular. Hidden because they're a different skin color. Hidden because they're less socially adept. Hidden because they don't have as many or as influential connections. For whatever the made-up, illusionary reasons they are hidden are countless more reasons for why they are seen and heard by God. And that's good news. That boring. (laughs) I thought it was pretty good. (laughs) Apparently, crickets. (laughs) So well-timed. Is that my cue? Is that my cue to... Okay, that was a big hook. In the form of cell phone crickets. That was great. I'm almost done. They, it's, you know, it's this whole thing of they, 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 they and us. Who, who is they? Who is they and who is us, really? When we come down to brass tacks, we, when we really come to the bottom, who is they and who is us? Because we've all felt excluded. We've been a they and they've been an us. In the words of Bono, there is no they. It's only us. It's only us. We've all felt hidden, overlooked, left out, locked out, other phrases that you want to include there. But that's the encouragement. The last encouragement is from 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And Paul writes that we are to encourage anyone who feels left out Help all who are weak and be patient with everyone. We're to encourage anyone who feels left out. Because that's not God's heart. God wants us to feel and experience the reality of the greater story, which is that you are treasured, you are chosen, you're loved with an endless love, And you can feel that. Why don't you join me in standing? You can experience that.